Hello everybody, welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Jose. I'm Mike. This is going to be our second podcast on three billboards outside Billings, Missouri. Ebbing, Missouri. Ebbing, Missouri. You never get every word. Uh, um, so, uh, part of the reason for doing uh, this second podcast is we had some responses from listeners uh, that we want to address uh, and actually, I think kind of Mike has a whole series oh, I've of been doing observations and theories and research. So I think I, I think this time around I'm going to act more. Well, I've just been doing some thinking. That's all. Because okay. yeah. I, I think I was slightly unfair to it the first time because um, I think that some of the things that I, my initial reaction to the film was very heavily. Oh, by the way, spoilers. Yes, well, <laughs> um, it's the second podcast. I know second podcast, but obviously spoilers throughout. Um, I think my reaction uh, the first time was very heavily uh, coloured, if you like, by mm. the racial politics of the film, uh-huh. um, and how uh, how that overshadowed things that are actually quite good about it and things that are nuanced. Yeah. Um, uh, and I don't think I was wrong about most of it. I think I was probably wrong about some. Um, I think particularly, actually, I, I was critical of it being a, a story of redemption of the racist character, and I don't think that's quite true. Um, I think I've... there is nuance to it. Okay, well, it's still pretty um, true, really. But um, but I just think that I just think I kind of I think my reaction was more things were flaws as opposed to decisions that deserved some actual consideration. Uh-huh. Um, so that's what I've been kind of thinking about, and also I was thinking heavily about um, the author uh, Flannery O'Connor, uh, whose book um, the character Red Welby is reading at the start, and th- things like that. You know what what characters read. Okay. And what characters watch and what characters drink and all that stuff is always very important. And I didn't know Flannery O'Connor, mm. so I I, would, I looked her up. The kind of things that I was reading about her, the kind of themes that that, that are associated with her, mm. um, I found very informative watching it the second time. Okay, good. So we're going to talk about some of these things. I just want to say that you know I've just seen it a second time, and though the mechanisms of the film become clearer to me my overall evaluation of it has not changed at all. You know, I think it's a very flawed film with really some wonderful things in it. Uh, and that remains my view. So Yeah, I uh, ultimately agree with that too. Okay, so we're just go, kind of going to explore uh, some of these mechanisms and really kind of, I suppose, uh, uh, um, engage with some of the questions that have been uh, brought to us really by people who've listened to the podcast. Mm-hmm. So do you, want to, do you want to start with everything that's kicking off on your Facebook? Yes. We're going then. It's right there. Okay, I can't see it though. Okay, so, not sure of your thoughts on issues of race, gender, and all. Which seems to me, this is what the film is about. So, really? <laughs> I mean, well, you had a very interesting observation about, you know, how, how, how the film is completely about gender. And this woman who's been ignored. and Yeah, well, I think... Um, it. it, it it struck me as very obvious right at the start that uh, the first time you see Mildred um, is in the she's in the car and she spots the billboards and it's wordless and she just realizes she can use these and at the time she, uh, her hair is down and she's wearing she's wearing a coat or something not what she ends up wearing for the entire film which is this kind of boiler suit get up and her hair's tied up and she just looks very stern and kind of workmanlike. Yes, um, that's what she basically. The moment that she that she 
heads into Red Welby's office to talk to him about getting these billboards, um, that's when she's in that costume. And from mm. then on, she's in that costume basically throughout. Mm. But there's a flashback where you see her again with the hair down mm. um, previously. So, and I, I kind of thought, like, this is... This is something that I really like about her character, which is that she just doesn't give a fuck what people think of her. Mm. And this kind of... She she becomes so determined immediately. And because we were saying that it takes so little effort for her to lose the town's support. The entire town is behind her because her daughter's been raped and murdered. But then she puts these billboards up, which are attacking the police department, and particularly the chief of police... Um, who you know? He's like, I guess he's like he's a he's a good man. He's got cancer as well, which gives him a bit of you know extra sympathy. Um, and immediately, the the entire town is against her. Mm. Um, and I think it's 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 related to the to the fact that she's a woman and she's. It's very easy to dismiss her once she does one thing that you don't like. Yeah. Like like if if there's if there's something about. Good men. I think actually the phrase "good man" shows up in the film quite a yes. few times. You're a good man at heart. Yes. He's a good man, and and I think the fat dentist might say about um, Willoughby, he's a good man. Yes. Um, so if, the, if but then the the corollary of that is a good woman, and what does a good woman do? Well, she keeps her mouth shut, really, doesn't yeah. she? Well, she doesn't. Yeah. Mildred doesn't, and so the town turns against her very quickly, and mm. she stands up to it, and it's it's really powerful. I think that the kind of just her portrayal as someone who refuses to give a fuck and that goes hand in hand with the way that she looks because she's no lot she doesn't care about well people are going to think she wants she she doesn't want to be any longer seen as pandering to what people think a woman should look like mm-hmm. you know um, it's, it's very interesting what you're saying though but the film is very forgiving too forgiving in my view of all of these so-called in quotation marks good men because all of these good men, in quotation marks, are doing horrible things. They're beating up their wives. You know, they're throwing people outside, out of windows. There, <laughs> like, well, and the, the good man at the top, Chief Willoughby, who is really the best man in the film, is um, excusing all of this in his department. That's right. You know, so and he's got this line. You know, if you remove the races, well, you know, you only have three people, and then those are homophobic, right? So basically, he's saying like, you know, kind of everybody's yeah every, yeah. So. So, so actually, the whole thing about these these women who are good and who are under siege, like the film does kind of... It's very interesting when the guy comes into the gift shop and all of a sudden kind of there's this violence or, you know, the kind of when, when the husband comes in and before you know it, you know, he's got her hands on her throat and against the wall and, you know, and, this, and then, you know, the, 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 the son has the knife out of his throat. I mean, you know, it's kind of, it's a place that's just kind of, you know, one second away from the most extraordinary violence, really. Yeah. Um, violence begets violence, or is it anger begets anger? Yeah. But, but um, I think you're right, and, but there is this kind of, the anger and the violence is being uh, just kind of shot in all different directions, mm. you know. Um, so again, Mildred, like... Uh, Mildred is not a purely good character, right? Like, she's a character you support and you're with her throughout the mm. film, basically, but she's not purely good. Mm. Um, she's actually quite monstrous at the start when um, uh, Chief Willoughby says to her, you know, we've we've got so little evidence, there's only so much we can do. And actually, he sounds very competent and reasonable. Like, there mm. is only so much they can do with this mm. case. They've taken it pretty much as far as they can mm. without a huge slice of luck falling in their laps. 
And she says, you know what I'd do is I'd get, I'd pull blood from every man in town. Mm. Well, what if he didn't, what, what if he was only passing through? Well, then pull blood from every man in America. Mm. Well, what if he was not from America? Mm. Well, pull blood from every, she says, I'd get every baby. <laughs> it's just like every newborn boy and put him on a register. Mm. And then when they do something wrong, you can pull blood and you know it's them and then you execute them. Mm. Like that is monstrous, right? Well, um, but it's, it's, it's rendered understandable because, you know, here's this woman whose daughter has just been murdered in the most brutal way possible. Uh, uh, you know, yeah. and in, in the most sexist way possible. Uh, and uh, she she has extraordinary guilt about it uh, for reasons that were shown, right? So I don't think yeah. But it doesn't says... just but it doesn't just stop there. So it goes on from there. So mm. so she has the can thrown at her car, and she gets out and she says to the kids, "Do you see who kicked, who threw that can?" And, the, and the, the the guy goes, "No." So she kicks him in the balls. Yes. And then she says, "Do you know who threw that can?" The girl says, "No." So she kicks her in the crotch. So only one of those kids can have thrown the can. Mm. But she, she's happy to knee both of them. It's like what she says about the, to, to the priest. She says, if you're in the gang, you're culpable. Yes. Um, and that's, that's the way she acts towards those kids. And that's the way she acts towards the police. When, so she, when you... she criticizes Chief Willoughby. And that's the way she acts towards all men when she's talking about pulling blood from every man in America. Well, I was just going to ask you, actually, about that point. Because, you know, the, the, the comments about if you belong to the gang, you're culpable, uh, do extend in, in gender terms, i.e., and it's a really interesting argument. I yeah. yeah, and this, and then, it, and so in some ways you could say, although this film was made before um, uh, the, the the Me Too uh, kind of uh, movement uh, kicked up and started happening, all these revelations about Weinstein and all these people, um, I think that there's there seems to be kind of a critique of that in this, mm. or it can be read as a critique of that, mm. um, insofar as there's a kind of the explosion of anger is taking out innocent targets mm. um, or, or kind of aimed at people where there's no evidence. Mm. So, so um, when she burns down the police station, it actually wasn't, she does that in retaliation for her billboards being burned down. But of mm. course it wasn't the police that burned them down. Um, it was her ex-husband. Yes. But, and, you know, and going off at the end to kill, to kill the guy who they know wasn't responsible for her daughter's death. Yes. They just think, well, he must have done something wrong, mm. so we'll decide on the way if we're going to kill him or not. To me, that's almost like a kind of a logical response to the absence of justice. You know, that if, if justice is not seen to be done, you know, then kind of rage manifests itself in the most irrational ways. Kind of, mm. you know, uh, uh, people do what they can on the borders, on the margins, irrationally, unjustly themselves, right? You know, but there's like this enormous frustration that doesn't find an outlet when you know, justice is seen to uh, to actively not be done or not be cared for, actually. Yeah. You know, which is, so, so that's kind of somehow in this film as well. Yeah. And there's another one, going back to the misogyny, because I think we're all over the place here, but um, going back to, I think, you started off talking about the, the idea of the gender politics and the misogyny in the film, the representation of misogyny. Um, there is this thing about how her ex-husband uh, beat her up. Mm. But no one takes her word for that. Everyone yes. actually, everyone, everyone portrays it. Even her own daughter says, "Well, according to you, he did." Yes. Um, which you think you really should listen to mm. someone when they make those, those allegations, mm. but absolutely no one does. No one listens to her at all. Mm. Um, and that's not just a comment, right? That's something that's uh, 
it's kind of pervasive. pervasive. Yeah. yeah. I think that, well, I mean, for, uh, that's something that we missed for sure the first time, I think. Yes. Um, we, but it's definitely there, and I think it's actually quite good. Yes. Okay, good. Uh, so let's see, what else do we have? Um, another comment was uh, that uh, they found the movie disingenuous and snobbish. So, high concept filmmaking dressed up with piety and fable. Disingenuous. I don't think it's disingenuous. I think it's clumsy. Uh-huh. Um, snobbish. I don't think it's snobbish. I think the film is kind of trying to... trying to. I think actually watching it the second time made me... Because the first time I watched it, I thought, this is this is two films celebrate together. Yeah. This is a film about race, which isn't very good. And this is a film about grief mm. uh, and anger, which is very good. And they join together very badly. Um, and the second time I watched it, I kind of respected it as more of a tapestry. Uh-huh. I think actually things interplay a little bit more, and themes are shared mm. across this kind of cross pollination thematically. I think it's you know I found it a kind of uh, imperialist filmmaking, really. You know, like uh, I mean, here you have this Brit, you know, going into American culture and really kind of you know, commenting on every aspect of it as if he knew anything about it, really, uh, or as if, as if he had the right to speak. And I, I kind of kept thinking, you know, can you imagine, like, uh, an American, I don't know, going into Bradford, you know, and kind of making a film there about the racism and, you know, the race relations and class relations in Bradford. And, you know, I think there would be a storm here about it, right? <laughs> you know, uh, uh uh, and I would probably start with getting the accents wrong or something. And I was, you know, so I just thought this is the opposite of it. And actually so many things are wrong, really. Like, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I hated that, uh, uh, you know, that Abby Cornish is there with her, you know, Australian accent and so on and so forth. Um, so in that sense, I suppose, yeah, there's a, you know, you could You'd say well, it, it's more arrogant than snobbish. Yes, I suppose. Yeah. Um, though, you know. To come in and just assume yeah. you can get it right. Um, so, and to assume that those things matter. For example, some people, you know, were talking about the landscape, that actually this is not the landscape of Ebbing, Missouri, but that you see the Ozark Mountains, which are more typical of whatever, right? And If think, I'm not wrong, I think Ebbing is a fictional town. All oh, right. But okay. they might be talking about Missouri generally. Okay, so, you know, there's these mountains are not in Missouri, they're in wherever. I, I read something on that. And I was just thinking, well, can you imagine the opposite? Could you imagine, like, you know, if something was meant to be Manchester, so said in Manchester, but you said it in Bath, like the outrage that that would provoke, right? Like, yeah. you know, and it's somehow that those things are absolutely important here because, you know, you're so important, but actually they don't matter there because nobody will know the difference, right? It, 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 I found it arrogant. It looks uh, like it's a North Carolina town called Silver. Okay, there you go. So it's uh, North Carolina instead of Missouri or something. Yeah. Uh, so those things, those things bothered me. Um, anyway, we also have uh, uh, a, f- a friend of mine disagreeing completely about the tone deafness uh, and superficiality of the politics. On your third viewing now, what do you think? Is the film still as tone deaf as you first thought it? And you know, are is its are its politics better thought through than we first imagined? I I consider it. Le- I, I, it, well, I think it's that thing of, um, as we said before, the second time you see a film, you know what's going to happen. You know where the shifts are going to come. You're more, tu- mm. you, you know, you're more prepared. So, um, 
so it, it, you know all that stuff is less uh, jarring. Yes, I think it still is a little bit, but I because I was acclimatized to it, I found it easier to appreciate the things I liked. Yes. I found the use of language uh, uh, still very provocative and really kind of um, out of place uh, 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 in a film set in Missouri. I mean, you know, I can't imagine, uh, and I've never heard uh, a son call his mother a cunt in an American film, Mm. ever. You know, and kind of when you hear it here, which actually you do hear it in British films and, you know, like it, it is it is a much more common swear word here, but it, it still jars to me. Actually, You still don't hear your son called his mum a cunt very often in British film, even. Even, yeah, I, I just kind I, of... I, I, actually, uh, I, I kind of agree. I was prepared to argue with you about this because I think it's not... That it's, Americans don't never use the word cunt, but it is more charged over there. Mm. Um, and I think the first use of it, I think there were about three uses of it in the film, and I think the first use of it is when the daughter in the flashback it shouts at the moment, why are you being such a cunt? And that struck me as quite, you know, that's a, that's a highly charged scene, and I, I believed in that. But then it's used a couple of times after that in, in ways that are too uh, frivolous. Mm. Um, but then that's nothing compared to the use of the word nigger, which is just thrown about. Yes. Um, there's no, like, I think the, the film at least slightly understands the, the violence with which the word cunt is used. Yes. But nigger is just used left, right, and centre. Yes. Um, and actually, as it's, jokes. It's interesting. Would you compare that to Tarantino's use of it? You can compare it, but I think the Tarantino comes off better. I think Tarantino, Tarantino's got this long history, I think, of people uh, saying, well, he wants to be black, doesn't he? He uses the N word all the time. Um, but, like, uh, but whereas I think if you, if you look at Tarantino's later stuff, but. Uh, thinking particularly of The Hateful Eight and Django, the Westerns, mm. where it's a word which is is being used to try and not hide the harshness of what the place was like, yes. uh, what the era was like. Um, I think in Django it's used kind of pointedly at people, whereas in The Hateful Eight it's used more, as I recall, it's more sort of as like the landscape almost. Mm. Um, well, the reason why I ask is because it's my impression, well, first of all, the use of the of the word in Tarantino's films caused like a complete brouhaha, right? There was so much written about it and people were scandalized and so on, very, uh, you know, judgmental of its use. And yet, it seems to me that Tarantino always uses deliberately, that he's conscious of the effect that the use of the word is going to have and chooses to use it, Mm. right? Uh, Knowing that it's going to have particular effects. So it's always a conscious use, I think, with Tarantino. Whereas with this, I think this guy has no idea, right? You yeah, know. no, I think that's right. Uh, uh, and 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 so you know, it, it becomes a, a problem in that sense that you know a writer should have a notion of how his words are going to, you know, what effect his words mm. are going to have. And it's, it strikes me that um, I might be out of my depth here, but it strikes me that the word doesn't have quite the same cultural charge over here that it does in the United States. I think obviously it does have a charge here and it's used aggressively uh, towards black people and has been for a long time. But I don't think it's... it. Like the history of slavery in America informs it in a way that it doesn't here because we never really had slaves in the UK. What we did was we went to other countries and then and, them. <laughs> and then took over there. So we didn't, we didn't, like, people never really brought back here as slaves. Mm. Whereas obviously that's, that's the way it worked in America. Can so, I ask you to comment on something? Okay. So this is. I'm glad uh, that you cut me off there because I was going nowhere with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is uh, uh, Andy uh, saying sometimes an outsider's view is discomforting, not because it is too shallow, 
but because it can see all the depth right there, all the depth right there on the surface. I see it as a mirror image of Get Out. I love the tonal misjudgments. What do you think? So you're saying the spectator sees more of the game. What do you think? Um, yeah, I think there's some there's some truth to that. I can see that up to a point. Do you think it's true in the case of this film, or do you think as a general point more? I think this point attacks the racism and sexism, and homophobia, and you know how prevalent and how casual it is uh, in a small American town than any film in you know that I can remember. Any other American film that I can remember does so. In that sense, it's it's. You know, I think I think Andy's right. Uh, you know, so there is that element to it, right? Like it is kind of it's all right there in the film. On the other hand, you know, kind of that goes with like complete misjudgments, in my view. Um, hmm. Yeah. So what? Rough with the smooth. Yeah. I mean, you know, there is a benefit of having an outsider looking in, right? Uh, you know, so kind of all mm. of these general things are, and these structures, I think, are uh, rendered very visible and understandable in a film like this. The nuances are completely bypassed. So, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, this film is about racism and casual racism, you know, uh, mm. But actually, I also think that that's not the main theme. I think you were right. And, you know, that kind of, to me, the main theme is about, you know, these women who get brutalized, they get raped, beaten, burned, uh, and they get kind of beaten up by their husbands and threatened by their husbands and, you know, and then completely ignored by the society and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so I think that's more the central theme of it to me. Hmm. It becomes clearer on a second viewing. Yeah, it does. Um, because I, I think it is overshadowed in yeah. the first one by those by the, the, the by the, those tonal misjudgments. Those tonal misjudgments. Hmm. It's, it's what it is. It is because because actually, it, the, the 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 theme of racism really obscures everything else about the film. Yes. In a way that is so detrimental to it. Yes. Um, you don't want to go into what Campbell said. Campbell. Oh, yes, yes. So let's not forget him. So what was what was his point? Okay, I think uh, Abby Cornish is miscast. There's a really painful lack of interiority for any of the very few black characters, which undermines the whole thing about racism. It makes it feel trivial when we don't see the effect of what a cop like Dixon does to black people. Uh, yeah, that's that's obviously true. Yeah, this is something that my brother picked me up on actually. Because um, there was a point in in the in the first podcast where I where I said. Why am I being asked to care about what this racist cop feels? Uh-huh. Um, and actually, that's, it's a good point to put me up on that because the point isn't that I shouldn't be made to sympathise with this guy. I think, uh, actually, that you know, um, there can be a case to be made for, for uh, you know, have, trying to have some understanding of, mm. of, of, of who he is. But the point is that you, you're invited to think about him and his feelings and his life mm. um, and his victims are have no character at all they they are used as props yes um every black person in the film is is a prop yes um uh so the the, the woman the, the the woman the friend of mildred uh who he arrests you see that she's got arrested from a note on the door and then later she comes out of the car and she says i was i'm free mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it you know well not um, only that she's free she meets the other black character who's helping to put up the billboards 
cut to them having a drink by an American flag in the bar, like as if just, you know, kind of by virtue of, you know, you mentioned. Yeah, there's a thing of, yeah they, they, there's, a, there's a shot where it hangs on the shot and she, she sees him and they kind of connect eye to eye. Cut to, they're in a bar. Like, you're black, I'm black, we're having a drink. Yeah. Um, which is rather like the kind of, you know, um, uh, you're a white racist cop. I'm the black superintendent who's taking over. You're fired. Yes. Yeah. You know, racism fixed. Hmm. It's it's weird. It's right. it's it's. I mean, there's a little bit more than that. He has just thrown a person out the window. Oh yeah, no, yeah. I'm not saying there's no reason to fire yeah, him, yeah, but yeah. that's that's the point. It's kind of it's like it has to be a black cop who comes in to fix it, right? Mm. And even then, the, that the, the that guy, the the new the new chief, um, at the end when. Dixon has been out doing vigilante detective work. Mm. He's been fired at this point. He's got he's got no gun. He's lost his badge. Mm. Um, he's not a cop anymore. He started a bar fight to to see if this guy you know he, th- he thinks this guy was was the guy. So he wants his DNA, and 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 it's like pure vigilante stuff. Mm. And it turns out he's not the guy. His DNA exonerates him, and and the chief goes, "You, you did well. He didn't do well." Mm. Vigilante justice. That's why you have a police department. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's true of all of the film. Um, what do you make of the ending in that regard? Now that you've seen it three times. Well, I think this is where I was thinking about my initial response to it as as a story about redemption, which is what a lot of people have been talking about, and how why why is this racist cop being redeemed? Um, and I don't think it is that simple. I think I I kind of overreacted because I think so ultimately what happens at the end of the film is Dixon and Mildred team up to go off to Idaho four states over and kill a guy who uh, three states over to kill a guy who um, they know wasn't responsible for the murder they think he's responsible for something this guy definitely did something shitty we don't know what yes. and they say well we'll decide it's not clear right so they say we'll decide on the way I'm not sure if we're going to go kill him or not but it's and, and my brother was saying to me, oh well, the tone of the film suggests that they are definitely not going to kill him. They've already decided. But don't they're think on it's the way that, there. Don't think it's that simple. Yeah. Um, the film kind of leaves it hanging. That's they're the on the way there. Um, yeah, exactly. So. They're diving there. So, um, and this goes back to what I was saying about Mildred being kind of monstrous at the start. Like, so this, actually, this is what I was reading about with Flannery O'Connor. Mm. So the film flags up Flannery O'Connor yes. as as a, a, a touchstone for. What it's what it's kind of going for, or something, or a kind of reference point, um, and so I was I was reading about her, and two of the she was a Catholic author from Georgia um, in the uh, sort of forties fifties, mm. um, and she died when she was thirty nine years old. Mm. She wrote mostly short, short stories and two novels, and uh, I, I mean her work sounds absolutely fascinating. I want I really want to get into it because um, uh, her stories are kind of violent or grim um and two of the themes that two, two of the two of the kind of characteristics of her work that i picked up on from reading about her were the idea of the grotesque and the idea of grace mm. so grotesque characters are characters that that inspire empathy and disgust at the same time mm. you know whereas if, if a character just inspires disgust they're a monster mm. really um but but i think mildred actually does both, right? Yeah. Like, So she inspires empathy. She's a yeah. hugely empathetic character. She's lost her daughter mm. and she's grieving. She's not being helped by anybody and you're with her the whole way. But she is also kind of monstrous in those in the respects I was talking about earlier. She, mm. She's kind of, she's she's 
angry in ways that explode onto certainly innocent people. Mm. Um, and she kind of uh, takes no prisoners, I guess. Um, and by the end, like that's been kind of tempered, but she's still, there's these kind of two parts inside. And I think Dixon is kind of the same thing, but I think the problem with the way it's, I think I think that's what's go, I think that's what's being aimed at with Dixon's character, but I think the problem with the way that it's executed is that then what what inspires empathy in you and what inspires disgust in you are not shown side by side. Mm. You're disgusted by him at the start, and then that is transformed, or the film attempts to change that to empathy mm. towards the end. And it's and it's so I think the idea of it changing is what is what people are seeing. And what I saw as a as a redemption story, mm. um, the idea that you, a character who was disgusting now becomes empathetic, and I think mm. that isn't an issue with the film because I think it's something that it's aiming for and missing. Mm. Um, but it's still there, like it's so it, it's a character who you want to see if his good side can overcome his bad side in a way. Um, there isn't enough of a good side to justify what Chief Willoughby writes in his letter where he says you're a good man at heart. Yes. Because um, he doesn't really back that up and I think it's it's empty. It feels really empty when he, when he says that. Mm. Um, because it's only after reading that letter that this stuff starts to come out of Dixon. Yes, though that it might... Yeah, but I mean, if Willoughby saw it in him then he, he's, he's fucking psychic. Because no one well, else no, did. no. It just means that Willoughby saw it, saw it in him and we haven't yet. Yeah. But we haven't... But But, but, but the fact that we haven't is like the film is it's up to the film to show us and the fact that we haven't means that when Willoughby says it um, it's incredibly hollow mm. you know it, it sounds like a guy who's just saying something nice to be nice yes um, and then I suppose this is the the other thing that, that I was reading about with Flannery Connor that, 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 that piqued my interest which is the idea of grace mm. which is kind of mercy from God that you haven't necessarily done anything to earn mm. which is a really interesting concept and I'm, I'm no Catholic, and this is... I mean, I, I'm familiar with the word grace, and I'm familiar mm. with some ideas of mercy from God, but, like, this particular idea mm. is not something I was familiar with. Um, and I think it's interesting, because when I was watching it the second time, I was kind of picking out all these places where, oh, that's an act of grace, and that's an act of grace, right? But the film is not uh, religious or theological, really. It's, it's quite a secular... Though it sets world. it up as a question, right? Because... When she's there, you know, putting the flower pots for her daughter and talking to the deer, you know, mm. that is the question. I mean, you know, what if there is no God and we live in a meaningless yes, world true. and, you know, could there be, yeah, it's just yes, senseless true. cruelty. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but I mean, we're point, we're, we were kind of picking out these, these places where people are, are just being kind to people. So, for instance, um, there is uh, Mildred, who's been abused by her ex-husband. Um, and who and he has then admitted to burning down mm. these billboards. Um, she just leaves it, and yeah. she and she just says to him, "Be nice to your nineteen-year-old girlfriend. Treat yes. her kindly." And yes. she gives him a bottle of wine and leaves it. And she, and there's an act of forgiveness in there. And then yes. r- right at the end, um, she opens up to Dixon and says, "I was the one who burned down the police station." She thought no one was in there. Mm. Dixon was. Um, but she, she, she admits it and he says, well, who the hell else was going to have done it? Yes. It was obviously you. He's already forgiven for that. Yeah. Um, when when he's in the hospital with the burns and he's wrapped up, he's in the room with Red Welby, who he's thrown out the window. Mm. And he says, I'm sorry for throwing you out the window. And Red responds in anger, revulsion. Mm. But then he calms down and he 
gives him some orange juice and he says, you know, it, so he kind of makes a certain piece of them. And again, there's an act of grace. And the thing is about all these acts of grace is they are, I think the film is basically building a world where it's like nothing is really clear and, and people have the capacity to improve themselves just by being nice mm. um, or being kind. Um, but I think it comes across, I, I, I don't think it adds up to anything. And I think the issue with, maybe it's a misstep just in terms of, like these are acts of forgiveness and kindness. I think grace is something different. And grace, because grace is this idea of God doing it, and because the film is secular, I think it's kind of lost on it. Mm. Um, I, I guess there's the letters well, There's the letters from Willoughby where he does kind things or says kind things to people and kind of... Um, uh, so he says to Dixon, you're a good man at heart yes. and you have what it takes to be a good detective. And, he and by of, virtue of him saying that, he becomes one. Yeah. You know, on the one hand, you're saying, like, this doesn't add up much too much. And on the other hand, by virtue of you listing all of the different instances yeah. in which it happens in the film, it does actually add up to But a I lot. think this it is just... Like, a, well, uh, but... It becomes like almost like mm-hmm. a little structuring element. No, I, I, think, I think it is. But I think, it, I think these are also... I think, I think the idea of grace is just something that's missed. If 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 the film is aiming for this this kind of this this theme of grace because of the Flannery O'Connor reference, um, I think that in particular is something that's missed. I think these are acts of forgiveness and kindness, but grace is something different. Grace is kind of numinous. Yes, well, you know, kind of, um, but surely you can, and people have tried to secularize that notion because, you know, grace almost by definition mm. is something from God. God graces you with. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, kind of maybe what the film is trying to do is find those elements of kindness and humanity, you know, and things that enable you to connect with other people and make other people's lives easier, uh, you know, in a secular way. And actually, I think, you know, acts of kindness to me uh, and acts of forgiveness are the two elements that kind of, mm. um, you know, recur throughout the film as a motif and that kind of, you know, continue this idea, if you want to explore it, of a kind of grace, you know, that's inherent to people and not necessarily kind of a gift from God that people can find the capacity to develop those elements that are in them. Mm. Yeah, I think maybe I'm picking out a problem that actually isn't a problem and actually it's something quite good about the film. Mm. I, I suppose, I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it through this lens of what made me look for the for the, the idea of grace is this reference, reference to, to Flannery O'Connor. O'Connor, and I think that actually, as a if it's tr- if it's trying to kind of aim at Flannery O'Connor territory mm. straight on, it seems to be missing because it's changing it. But then actually, the fact that it's changing it is probably what it's like. That's what it's doing. Yes. And actually, I think that's yeah, that's no that's no negative thing. That's actually mm. quite a good thing because I think this is something that I like about it. Mm. This is something that I like. Actually, I, lo- I do like all of these moments where people do nice things for each other. This is a film that's so full of of, of hate and anger, um, and uh, you know, and, 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 and kind of vengeance and lust for for, for all these kind of violent things. Mm. That when when people are nice to each other, that's incredibly wholesome in the context of the film. Actually, it feels great. I mean, there's at one point even these tiny little things like Frances McDormand winking at uh, Peter Dinklage. She uh, she. Yes. They, they go to dinner together because he's done something nice for her. He's basically given her an alibi for the arson mm. of the police station. So um, so she lets him uh, take her to dinner. They see her ex-husband and his girlfriend there. He says, do you want to leave? 
And she says, no, 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 a deal's a deal. And she winks at him. And it's, mm. it's, just, it's just, it's nice. Mm. And actually, she's such a fucking arsehole to that guy most of the film. Mm. Um, that, 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 I mean, and even through dinner, she still is, mm. you know? Um, that's a nice moment. I mean, okay. th- the thing about the dwarf is, it, I, I, this actually goes back to the, to the, to the word cunt and the N-word, I think. Um, there's, there's this thing, I think the film is trying to draw a parallel with the dwarf because the word for a dwarf is dwarf, not midget. Mm. And and midget is a derogatory term. And everyone in the film calls him a midget. Mm. To his face, when he's there, mm. he's a midget, and he's the town midget. Mm. Um, and he just takes it in stride, because what can he do? Mm. Um, but he refers to himself as a dwarf. You know, he says, I know I'm a dwarf, and I know I'm a used car salesman and all the rest of it. So it's making a very clear point about the use of language. This is a film that's concerned with the use of language, when you have that thing where when Dixon says it's person of colour torturing business mm. you know um, so the, f- the film is aware of it and it's trying to draw its parallel which I think is what makes the use of the n-word that much more um, disappointing and, and, and just dislikable because the film has this project of, of what language means okay let me shift gears because there are two things that kind of I um, observed in my second viewing uh, which bothered me and uh, I'd like uh, you to tell me what you think. The first is the use of letters as a structuring device. So the Woody Harrelson character dies really halfway through the film and then kind of his presence is felt you know throughout the rest of the film through these letters that he writes various characters. So he writes a letter to his wife, he writes a letter to the Francis McDormand character and he writes a letter to the sheriff, uh, to the policeman, and they're like little homilies, really. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of, I thought it was a cheap device, and it, uh, I thought partly it was a cheap device because whilst the letters are being read uh, uh, in the film, the film feels like a vacuum. You know, you're looking at landscape or something. You know, so I thought it was kind of like a very poor use of film. <laughs> I mean, I, I disagree about that. I really like them. I think um, they're interesting. They're quite touching. I think. Mm. I mean, this is the you know this is an example of the film of, of a great deal of kindness being meted out. Um, yes. You know, I thought they were well written and well well delivered. I don't think they were a vacuum in terms of film. I think just I mean the act of someone sitting there and reading a letter that means something to them isn't necessarily uncinematic. Um, wow. uh, you know, and I think it's it, it, they, they offer these kind of moments of pause and reflection and, and insight mm. I thought they were uncinematic um, you also suggested to me earlier that you thought they were uh, uh, theatrical Yes, a theatrical device. Uh, th- sort of frivolity well, there's but I think lot... you know, let the film have a little bit of theatricality it's two hours long the, well <laughs> yes but there's a, there's, there's a lot of moments about that that are actually where the effect comes out you know, from the concept rather than actually from a filmic telling. I'm thinking of the moment, you know, where the policeman is reading the letter, you know, and he's reading kind of the letter as all around him, you know, uh, the police uh, 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 headquarters is going up in flames and he's unaware of it. I thought that was also like a very kind of, you know, theatrical way of rendering that scene. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, or, uh, he should have, like, I mean, it's unrealistic. Yeah. He should have noticed. <laughs> well, aside from it being unrealistic, you know, you can imagine how that thing would work on a stage much better than it would, you know, than it does mm. on film. Um, yeah, that's fair enough. Now, 
um, and the last thing that I really wanted to comment on really is that visually the film is pretty um, you thought unremarkable yes that's a very kind way of putting it because <laughs> you're full of grace <laughs> <laughs> it's not ugly and there, and there are moments I think that I think the, the the visual of the billboards I think the the billboards are great to look at they stay they stand out and they're mm. these kind of, you know, in the midst of this beautiful mountain, kind of bucolic mm. scenery, these harsh, angular, bright red, flaming, mm. vicious billboards stand out. Um, I think they look fantastic. Um, and, and, you know, kind of elements of design of, for instance, as we were saying earlier, the way that Mildred's character is designed and, and the way her face is kind of shaped, mm. stern, mm. and determined, and angry all the time. Mm. Again, that's great as well. Um, but I can see what you're getting at as well. I think the film is kind of reasonably elegantly directed, but not hugely expressively mm. directed. Okay, um, we've been going on for a really long time. Well, what do you think? Don't just ask me. Uh, well, no, that's exactly. Well, I, I, I think I, I agree with you, except I would be harsher on it, <laughs> right? Um, so. You know, kind of where you're, where you're saying it's not quite elegant or expressive, or it's elegant but you know, uh, uh, not very expressive. I actually thought there's not a single shot worth looking at, really. That kind of you know everything is being told to you through the language and the performances, you know. And because the language and the performances are often so great, it doesn't matter as much as it would in some in some films, right? Like. You know, but that actually mm. there's a whole visual dimension to the film that is not made much of. Really. I think there are at least a couple of shots. I mean, I said to you, um, the, the shot of uh, Willoughby in the stable, mm. silhouetted. Um, although, I, to be fair, I said this on the second viewing, but I sort of said, like, when you see that shot, mm. you kind of go, oh, he's going to die here. Yeah, you know, well. or, the, or the first shot where the, the first billboard is revealed, the one that says Rachel while dying, this camera pans up and it feels huge. Mm. Uh, it, uh, terrifying um, the film does have its moments visually but it's um, they are few and far between it's a disappointment there's something this is really nothing really but um, there was something about when she, when Mildred first goes to get the billboards um, she says oh they're on this road that no one uses it since the freeway came in mm. I think the, the, do you think the film is the film is trying to say th th there's something about the economics of the town being uh, conveyed but in kind of in people's jobs or the way they convene at the bar, but not very much. No, and it kind of doesn't make sense, really, to me. So, um, so you get the feeling that the town is going through economic hardship. You know that losing your job, uh, you know, is a major thing. That you know, finding out what kind of compensation is available per year's work is something that might enable you to live for X years more or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you do get a sense of like that people are squeezed uh, financially. On the other hand, you know, there's a lot made of the landscape and how beautiful it is and, you know, the mountains and horses and yeah, so kind yeah, of... Yeah, it's kind of... it's um, it's, it's, it's Six one half dozen the other, and actually, I think it comes back to what you said about the film has no understanding of where it's set. Really, yeah. um, the line about no one goes through, no one goes down that road anymore since the freeway was put in. That line strikes me as such lip service yes. to the idea of 
of of the credit crunch and economic hardship. Um, that like it kind of suggests that the film is portraying this, and actually, it's not. Well, to me, there was a moment in the film where um, the 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 racist policeman uh, goes to talk to the new chief of police, and you know there were two flags, one uh, like in a pencil case. One was the American flag, and the other one, what I assume is the flag of Missouri. Um, and they were both like really dusty and oily and old. And I thought, you know, this is the kind of film in which that doesn't necessarily mean anything. That somebody, <laughs> you know, could just have said, how do we make a cop's desk realistic? And here are some flags, and we'll plonk them there, right? Whereas with another kind of filmmaker, you know, those flags and the way they looked and so on would have been a commentary on America. But in this one, actually, you weren't sure. It could be a commentary or it could just be that somebody plonked it there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what, like, what about the way that Dixon's mother lives? Um, the, the, old, the old racist mother. Well, I think, you know, kind this, of... This kind of you know, the, racist hick squalor, basically. Well, I think that, you know that's just meant to be like people's poverty, and the son is obviously taking care of her and supporting her, and you know that's mm. kind of partly the kindness that um, the Woody Harrelson character sees in him, you know, because clearly his mother dominates him and 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 probably psychologically abuses him, like you know she's one of those tough old broads that you think drinks too much and has a very nasty edge, so but again, you know, kind of in the hands of another filmmaker you know, you would have a thesis through what's being symbolized mm. by this character, kind of... In this one, it's just too diffuse, you don't know. The film, weirdly, to me, feels kind of sub-Cohen Brothers. Yes. Which, and and that's partially... Uh, the casting. Partially the casting, Francis McDormand particularly, mm. and Woody Harrelson, um, and partially the setting in, in the American South. Um, but I think, like, if the Cohen Brothers did it, the language wouldn't be... Um, it wouldn't Irish. be as Ill, it wouldn't yeah, well, it wouldn't be as ill judged on one hand, but then it also wouldn't be as exciting. Yeah. Like the, I mean, the film does have these these kind of verbal flourishes. Yes, yeah, so there at were times. Um, yeah, there are times where it's absolutely glorious, and there are times where it's just off. But yeah, it would kind of there would be a there's an incoherence to the film, mm. which I mean, maybe it's unfair just to compare it to the Coen Brothers. Okay. But. So that might be a good note to end in because there's an incoherence to the film, but you've now seen it three times. Yeah. But I have seen it enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's end it here. <laughs> uh, um, eavesdropping at the movies is on Twitter and Facebook. Eavesdrop movies, eavesdropping at the movies, uh, eavesdropping at the movies at gmail.com, eavesdropping at movies.com. Yes. Ooh. And we welcome your comments. We do, even though we uh, don't normally get any. <laughs> <laughs> well, we dealt with some today. Got a few today. <laughs> yeah. I'm done with three billboards, I can tell you that. <laughs> I've had my fill. Uh.